Hey, this is Kat Kahn from Knoxville, Tennessee. And Tanya Rice from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are grateful you've joined us. And we cannot wait to share with you the musings of a couple of yogis. We hope you learn, laugh, and enjoy. And we hope you will share with us any of your comments or questions. Without further ado, this is Two Pittas on a Pod. Well, hey, Tanya. Hey, Kat. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm groovy. Uh, I'm really looking forward to our, our guest this week. I am very excited. This is one of my favorite people on the planet, Terry Price, and he's going to talk to us about labyrinths. Just a little bit about Terry. Terry's a writer and a photographer. He's a creative coach, and he's a certified labyrinth facilitator. I'll let him tell us who he's certified through because I'm not even going to try to butcher that one. He also works one-on-one with creatives. So anyone out there that needs a coach for their creative endeavors, he is incredible. He leads workshops and retreats around the country, and he has an MFA from Spalding School of Creative and Professional Writing in Louisville. He's got many other educational degrees and certifications, but that's the ones we're just talking about more today. But he is just one of the most incredible people, and he is has helped me on my writing journey and since I don't know how long have I known you Terry wow that's a great question I would say <laughs> between 10 and 15 years yeah but but he is incredible and I had never really walked a labyrinth intentionally until I met Terry so in fact Terry can you tell us who you're certified through since I didn't want to attempt it <laughs> <laughs> uh, international organization called Veriditas mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, based in California, Dr. Lauren Artris, who's considered kind of the guru, uh, for lack of a better term, of the modern labyrinth movement, uh, started the organization. And so they are charged with education, promotion, teaching about labyrinths. And so they've come up with their programs. And once I've stumbled into labyrinth, not literally, but uh, <laughs> I knew I wanted to learn more and help others with it. And so I found them and and uh, went through the programs and such and just absolutely love it. I do think it's fascinating because the very first time that we talked when we were kind of interviewing everybody, I think Kat and I both walked away just from your little like 15 minute interview, both going, oh, we've got some labyrinth work to do. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was, I, I mean, it was just educational, just chatting with you and asking you a few questions. So I'm really excited to hear, you know, all that you're going to share with us. And mm-hmm. I think, I think the first thing I want you to share is you, you you told Kat and I a story about how you stumbled into labyrinths yes. for the first time. Yes. Scarrett Bennett Center is a wonderful facility in Nashville, Tennessee, and they had a retreat and it was called Room to Write. And I tell people that there's never been a retreat more aptly named uh, because you got a room and they expected you to write. And that was it. We met for breakfast, we met for dinner, but otherwise we would squirrel away and do our writing. And so the uh, host, the facilitator for the meeting, Dr. Rami Shapiro, one morning we were having breakfast and he excused himself and he says, I'm going to go out and walk the labyrinth if anybody would care to join me. And I looked at him, I said, you're going to what the what? And he said, well, I'll I'll show you, I'll teach you. So he took about six of us out there. And so I saw my first labyrinth, seven circuits uh, at Scarrett Bennett Center outdoor labyrinth with the fields of grass and then the borders and brick. And so he gave us a brief introduction on what it was and how it could be used and so forth. And I took to it immediately. Uh, and in my facilitation over the years, people are all along the spectrum. There are some people that immediately 
a take to it. And then there are others. Uh, I don't know if it's perhaps they're not spiritually or mentally ready for it or if they're skeptical or whatever it is, but there's just not that connection. But most people I have found even even those people will try it a few times and then something clicks. And then from that point forward, they're able to use it. So anyway, I just uh, and and that was my introduction in a creative environment. And so that's the way I adapted to it and used it for a good while. And then I started incorporating it into my spiritual practice and I started incorporating it into a lot of other areas. And we can talk a little bit more about that as we go with the interview about how many different uses uh, there are for labyrinths in today's society. I love that. Can you tell our listeners what a labyrinth is? I mean, most people have watched mm. movies. Uh, what was that? 80s movie with David Bowie and the labyrinth. Yes, um, it's <laughs> actually called labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, so a lot of people, that's all they know about labyrinths. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about what a labyrinth is? Sure. Well, let me tell you, first of all, what it's not. Uh, because okay. growing up, I love words. Um, and growing up, when typically when we use the term labyrinth, it sometimes will uh, conjure up a visual of something that's impenetrable. You know, it's a labyrinth that you can't figure it out. And so we tend to associate the term labyrinth with like a maze. And they're two completely separate things. A maze is designed to force you into choices. And when you have choices, there are right choices and there are wrong choices. And so you reach a dead end and you turn around and you continue to work and try to figure a way either out or in or whatever. And a labyrinth is a singular path. It, in essence, if I had to to narrow it down just to a few words, a labyrinth is a walking meditation. And so as a singular path, unicursal, they call it, it's designed to go from the outside, inside to the center, and then you turn around and you come back outside. Now, mm -hmm. there'll be winding areas of the path. You'll go in and out. They call them meanders. I told someone, I think that someone from Tennessee came up with that term because that just sounds <laughs> Yeah, it does. <laughs> Meanders where you'd be going in one direction and you'll do a complete 180 mm -hmm. and turn in another direction. And so by it being a singular path, you can let go. You're not having to make any decisions. You're not having to think. You just follow the path. And so in terms of meditation, I was always a failed sitting meditator. I've just never really been able to do it like I think it should be done. But I can walk into a labyrinth. I can let go of my conscious mind. I can put one foot in front of the other, trust the path. And by that letting go of the conscious, then the subconscious has room to come out and play. And so it's, uh, again, going back to the many uses of it. For creativity, it was just amazing where I would have writer's block, maybe a problem with a character or a plot point or, you know, whatever. And so I'd go into the labyrinth and I would kind of meditate on that and put one foot in front of the other and things would start to rise and things would start to bubble up. And so again, talking about the creative uh, aspect of it, that's just how I immediately took to it and started using it pretty much before every writing session. I would try to do a labyrinth walk just to kind of, it was almost like a cleansing mm -hmm. kind of, so to speak, a transformation, not a transformation, a, a change from from the world, the outer world, into that space that I needed uh, to be able to write from. I feel like I wish that everybody had a chance to hear something like this before approaching a labyrinth, because the first yes. time I approached a labyrinth, yes. I felt overwhelmed by it. Yes. And I mean, it was large enough that I was like, uh, I don't I don't actually know what I'm doing. I don't know what this is about. I'm probably not doing it justice. You know, so I mean, I suppose probably how most people feel the first time they sit down to a meditation, if they They've never had any guidance. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too, mm -hmm. because we have all these preconceived notions 
And there's, I think it's human nature. We tend to look left and look right and others look like they're comfortable, you know, and so we think, oh, well, they get it. They know what they're doing. And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm the only one in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's as a facilitator, which is what I do. I help facilitate people's either initial or subsequent experiences in the labyrinth, or maybe going from an individual experience to a group experience or from a different sort of theme or practice is to allay some of those fears and and help people understand there are really no rules to a labyrinth. You know, it's about you. It's not about performing. It's not about precision. And I think, again, that's part of that shift from the outer world to the world of the spirit, the world of the labyrinth. We come from a land of rules and regulations and being self-conscious that we don't know those things. And that's one of the first things we tell people is this is your walk. You know, you need to handle it the way you need to handle it. I tell people when they first start to enter, don't be in any hurry. Don't, you know, this is not a race. Yes, there's some people behind you. That's okay. They'll get to take their time. Enter into it with a an attitude of gratitude. Be grateful for whatever it is in your life that's good. Even if they're bad things, find something good. Be grateful for this moment. Be grateful for this day. And then focus on the breath and find your rhythm uh, with your breathing. And I think that's such a big thing. And you two can speak, I think, much more to that than I can. But whenever I am feeling very, very anxious, the first thing that I have learned to do is to check my breath. Mm-hmm. Usually very rapid. It's very shallow. And I've abdicated my rhythms and I've ad- abdicated the rhythm of my breathing to align with the world, with all the demands and everything that's going on in the stress. So when I get up to the labyrinth, the first thing I do is to say, OK, take your time, find my natural rhythm. Uh, this is not unique to me by any stretch of the imagination, but I believe everything has rhythm. I believe the universe has a rhythm to it. The solar system, our planet, each other, the, every living thing has some sort of rhythm to it. And the closer we can become aligned to those rhythms, then the more we are able to connect not only to the external, but the deepest parts of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So you walk up to the entrance of the labyrinth and just find your breath. And then once you find your breath, you've had a moment of gratitude, take the first step and then take the second step. And again, doing so with your rhythm, because I've seen more often than not people enter the labyrinth and they take off, you know, because they know people are behind them. Oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to slow them down, yada, yada, yada. And so find your breathing, find the rhythm of your pace. And I'll tell you a quick story. Years ago, I had a trip to Rome scheduled. Two days was less than 48 hours. I had a serious bout. It turned out to be vertigo. I won't stretch the story out, but it scared everybody because we didn't know what it was. And they did CAT scans. They did, you know, MRIs. They did everything. And it turned out it was vertigo. And so they said, because it's vertigo, you can still go to Rome, but you're going to have to take it easy. Well, Rome's, you know, one of the major metropolises in the world. And I discovered that whenever I left my hotel and I would start walking down the sidewalk, it would be like one of those films where you see one person that's kind of sort of slowly moving and everyone else is just going bam, bam, zoom, zoom, zoom. And that's the way I was. And that's the way I felt. And it took me about five or six minutes because I was so self-conscious and people were just running by me. And then it hit me that the pace that I was keeping at that moment that was comfortable was the same pace that I use on the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. I love that. Wow. It was my pace that I had fallen into because I had been forced into it. It just changed everything. So once you get on the labyrinth and you have your your breathing, uh, you have your your pace, then you can relax. You have now fallen into your natural being, your natural state, and then you start to open up. And then you start to, the senses really open up. You know, that's mm-hmm. to me 
big things walking a labyrinth is you hear bird song that you did not hear 10 minutes before. You smell things in the air, the, the greening of the leaves and the grass or just all sorts of things you hear. It's just a really sensory experience. And so question I get a lot of times is, well, okay, if so I'm walking my walk, well, what if the person behind me is not walking my walk? They're walking their walk. That's great. That's fine. And so we tell people, if you're going a little faster than the person in front of you, then you just step around them. Just whenever it's a convenient place and sometimes in a meander where it turns around, you can actually step across and then now you're in front of them. You don't interrupt their walk, but you also don't impede your walk because then that's going to mess things up for you. Coming back, Tanya, to what you were referring to, yes, depending on the number of circuits, again, one path, the circuit is the is the rounds around it, but it's all connected. So it's only one path, but it's various numbers of circuits. 11 is typically the longest you'll see. And I tell people, if that seems too much, then you just leave the labyrinth. That, you know, there's nothing that requires you to do a percentage or all of it or half of it or whatever. If you have. I felt like I couldn't do that. I felt like that was like stepping on someone's yoga mat. I was like, you you just don't do it. You were breaking (laughs) the rules. We were talking about that at our Western Moon retreat this year. And it was talking about how people get so locked up at that thing. And I actually assigned as an exercise to go and walk and at some point intentionally go across the lines and leave the labyrinth. And people were petrified, you know, know. It's like being in kindergarten <laughs> and someone saying, now color outside the lines. No, I can't, I can't. do that. <sighs> I can't do that. But that's the thing. It's, it's, we are not there to perform. We're there to connect more with ourselves. And so if that's what you need, then that's what you do. The only real, I call it a rule, but the people will say there are no rules. The only rule that I think that there is, and that is being respectful to other people along the path. We don't want to ruin or mess up someone else's labyrinth walk. But aside from that, I mean, you can leave the labyrinth without disturbing anyone. You don't have to jump up and say, okay, now guys, I am now leaving the labyrinth. (laughs) Harry has left the building. You know, you can do it in a very subtle way. But I, I, I think you're right. I think that if people have an opportunity to have that sort of conversation, then they'll be more relaxed that first time that they do go in. Well, and I have a question for you, Terry. When we're at the West of the Moon Riding Retreat, and I got involved in that retreat because of Terry invited me to to be a part of it. But we have that opening ceremony where we open the labyrinth. And then at the end of our retreat week, we close the labyrinth. And I have never really asked you to give me a little better description of why you just say we're doing that. And I go, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things that I like, it seems to me, at least in my experience, and I'm talking universally, not just labyrinth work, is that I like ritual. I think that there's something nice, reassuring reminding, I think it kind of takes us to different places when we have rituals. And I think sometimes we associate rituals with holidays. You know, when we have Christmas, we do certain things every year and that's kind of our ritual and that's kind of a comforting sort of thing. I do believe in energy. In fact, that was the theme of our West of the Moon retreat this year was energy. And so what we talk about, it's just a ritual. There's nothing magical about it. It's nothing that has to be done. But we talk about opening and closing the energy of the labyrinth. And Mm -hmm. so it's a community sort of thing when you bring people together and we step 
stand facing the center of the labyrinth all the way around the outside. And then we will do one complete circle in a clockwise motion and come back to where you first started. And so we say that's opening the energy of the labyrinth. And then when we finish, we come back, we do the same thing, except we walk in a counterclockwise circle. And we call that closing of the energy of the of the labyrinth. And so it's just a, a nice ritual. It's something to say, this is special. Mm-hmm. There is potential. It, and I think that, you know, and I've told you this and, and when we've done our presentations, if you walk into the labyrinth and you approach it with a sense of gratitude and a sense of possibility, then it's likely that things will, you'll experience things. Images will pop up. Maybe ideas will come forth. But if you go to the labyrinth and you say, I don't believe this, nothing's going to happen. You know, you're exactly right too. It's not going to happen because you've already predetermined that. So a ritual is, I think, a way of saying, here we are, we're open to possibility. Mm -hmm. So we're going to collectively do this together before we start doing some things individually. Well, I love the look on everyone's face when we go through those rituals because it does set the entire tone for our week and I love that so much so and you do make it very magical well thank you I do that because it's important to me and I hope that others relate to that it's not just something to do that's what makes it special to me there's another ritual that we do with that that actually I learned about it through the Celtic tradition has nothing to do with labyrinths. It was just people coming together. And that is, you know, reaching out. And when you start an event and you take energy from the universe and you take universe, uh, take energy from each other, and then you take energy from the earth. And then at the end, whenever you're closing, you reverse that order. Mm-hmm. So you take now that you've experienced all of this and you now have this energy before you go back out in the world and a sense of gratitude, you give back to the earth, you give back to each other, you give back to the universe. Mm-hmm. And it's just a nice way to stop us and help us to think, uh, you know, it's symbolic, you know, I, I'm not shooting energy out of my fingertips, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a nice reminder of how we benefit from all of those things, from nature, from the universe and from each other, all the love and care we give each other. And then if we do experience that, it's incumbent upon us to give around and give to others. So it's just a reminder, okay, I'm I'm in a better place. I experienced these things. Now I'm going to go out into the world. Equal exchange of energy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and labyrinths aren't a new fangled thing. They've been around as long as the pyramids and as long as Machu Picchu. And, uh, and they've been around, what, over 5,000 years? They they estimate five to six thousand years. You know they don't have an exact date on that, but they have uh, the evidence and uh, the the earliest labyrinths, the earliest symbols that were found. They were not labyrinths you walked. Uh, they were paintings on cave walls and coins and and s- smaller sorts of things, and then they morphed from that into tile. They have found now buildings uh, that were under the Roman Empire with works of tile that were in the shape of labyrinths. Again, you couldn't walk Mm -hmm. on, but it was something Mm -hmm. about our psyche. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing is that they have found these all over the world. So it's not just that. The Europeans came up with them and then shared them throughout the world. That there, it's something within us that's that they call in some areas sacred geometry. And if you look out into the world, you'll find like seashells and you know mm-hmm. snowflakes, and you find this 
commonality in this geometry, and they call it a sacred geometry. And so they say that's inside of us as well. And so we feel comforted whenever we experience that. And so we wanted to create it. And then uh, somewhere, uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but um, there was a monk that decided to try to do something bigger. And then when they did it bigger, there was this compulsion to actually walk on it. And then the most famous <laughs> cult of uh, labyrinths nowadays is the one at the cathedral at um, Chartres, uh, France. And I think it was somewhere around, it was between 1100 and 1200. And that's still there. I've had the chance wow. to walk yet. Wow. And, yeah. So they think, they, they estimate that it's the most walked labyrinth on the planet, just simply because it's now a pilgrimage. And it was a pilgrimage at some points. Historically, they say, now this is apocryphal, that when people could not make a full pilgrimage because of wars or famine or they couldn't do it, they would designate these places that would have a labyrinth and say, okay, do the pilgrimage to there. That would be their final part of their pilgrimage, and then they would return home. And that that would be the equivalent of having to go to a particular city that was too dangerous. I think it's fun that you bring up the smaller versions, because when you and Kat and I talked the very first time was the first time you had introduced to me the conversation of a finger labyrinth. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was like within days that I turned and looked at someone's coffee table and there was a finger labyrinth. And I really? was like, what? <laughs> and so now I'm like, how many times have I passed by a finger labyrinth and didn't right. even know it? Right. And so now I'm, I like swear I have like eagle or labyrinth radar on <laughs> because I'm like, oh, labyrinth. Oh, look, labyrinth. <laughs> well, I gave you all uh, some links, which I think you may share. And one of those is uh, where you can download a paper finger labyrinth, but you can buy them. I've got, I've, ooh, I probably have about nine or 10 uh, <laughs> and they're all different materials. I've, I got one from New Harmony, Indiana, which is probably where the second or third First, second, or third most famous labyrinth in the United States is located. And so I've got one, but it's made of pewter. It's about maybe six inches across. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also have one made of wood that's probably about 14 inches across. And those are wonderful substitutes. If you can't physically find a labyrinth that you can walk, you can do it with your finger. And it's the same sort of meditative mm -hmm. exercise. It, mm -hmm. it, to me, it's not quite as good, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I enjoy doing yeah. it. I think it's important. I think it would be very important for anyone in a high stress job to have one on their desk because it's such an incredible stress reliever yes. just to be able to do a finger labyrinth. In fact, I bought one in New Harmony at the museum there and it is a nice way to go inward and kind of re reestablish the balance within. I love that. In fact, I think I'd have to be super careful because I'd be labyrinthing during Zoom meetings and completely <laughs> spacing out and they'd be like, Tanya, Tanya. <laughs> Well, but think of the energy that you'll bring to that meeting. I guarantee that would change things. But I mean, um, it does. It, it just, it, there's something about it that helps to quiet the mind, opens the heart, grounds the body. They actually have studies that people who walk labyrinths on a regular basis, they typically have lower blood pressure. They have mm -hmm. lower stress. And, and and that would work with any form of meditation, I'm sure. But this is kind of my area, so I kind of keep up with that just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, it's really amazing. I mean, if nothing else, some of the things that I've described that I've benefited from, if I didn't have any of those, just that bit of peace, just that bit of reclaiming my rhythms, that's worth a walk mm -hmm. anytime. 
What is your favorite labyrinth or do you have a favorite? Um, that's, it's really hard to say. <laughs> it's kind of like whatever one I'm walking on at that moment <laughs> is my favorite. I expected been, that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the, the labyrinth that's scared at Bennett Center, I always, I call that my home labyrinth because that's mm -hmm. the first one I walk and it's still, it's 30 minutes away. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm in Nashville, it's open to the public, you know, you, there's, there are no rules, no requirements, no nothing. You just pull in the parking lot and you can walk. If I'm in Nashville and I can steal away about 30 minutes, I'll just go there and walk. So mm -hmm. I do love that. I do love the one at New Harmony. Uh, the, the labyrinth at New Harmony is a Charter Cathedral style labyrinth, 11th Circuit, just like the one at the Cathedral at Chartres in France. In fact, <laughs> they kind of semi-jokingly say that it is almost it's the closest replica to the one in the cathedral at Chartres as opposed to any other in the world. And they said it's actually more accurate <laughs> because that That's was awesome. built, you know, a thousand years ago and or, you know, uh, 900 years ago by by stone people. They were they were doing and the one at New Harmony, they actually went to Chartres and they got down on their hands and knees and they mapped the whole thing out. And then they put it into the software and computers. Can't remember the term, but anyway, to lay it out. And then they flew the pieces out there pie shaped and they flew it out and put them down like a jigsaw puzzle. It's crazy. Some fantastic mm -hmm. engineering. <laughs> it is. It, it, when they did it, and it's been, I think, roughly 20 years ago, it would, it cost then about $250,000. So there's no That's telling. Great. Wow. What it would now, cost. So if our listeners were to ask, how do I find a labyrinth near me? What, yeah. What's your advice? That is the best and easiest question. <laughs> <laughs> there is a link, and it's called Labyrinth locator.com it's it's all together labyrinthlocator.com and it works for anywhere in the world uh, if someone has reported their labyrinth and it's i have used it i can't tell you how many states in the united states uh, when I go to a place, it's one of the things I do is I find a labyrinth and I'll make some way to, to walk it. I probably have walked labyrinths in five or six different countries in Europe. They're just there. They're, it's all over the world. My f Now, going back to my favorite labyrinth, my favorite labyrinth probably only existed for about an hour and a half. And that's because I went to St. Augustine and I got on Labyrinth Locator. This was a Saturday, and it said that there was a sand labyrinth about 45 minutes from where I was staying. And it turned out the first Sunday of every month, there's a group in St. Augustine, Florida, and they go first Sunday of every month, and they build a labyrinth into the sand. So they've got their poles and things. And I mean, it is a full labyrinth. I've got a photograph wow. of it. It's gorgeous. And so when they finish, it's usually, I think they said it's about two o'clock is when they would finish building it. It's just open to the public. And then, of course, by whatever the tides are for that day coming in, it's gone. That's yeah. Fun. A spiritual sort of, of event and, and the, the metaphor, I mean, just the symbolism of being on something like that. And then you turn and you walk away. And as you walk away, it's completely disappearing, never to be seen again, including your wow. footsteps, your footprints and everything. It was that was pretty magical. That was pretty magical. Wow. That's incredible. And that's the kind of thing you find on Labyrinth Locator. It'll tell you typically, you know, what it's made of, where it's located, if it's public, private, if you can reserve it, uh, if it's always open indoor, outdoor. Uh, there's some places that will have canvas. I've got a canvas labyrinth. It's 20 by 20. It's a seven circuit. So I can unfold that. 
And so I can lead labyrinth walks as long as I've got a space 20 by 20. And so some of them will be like that. So you make mm -hmm. a ahead of time and they'll put the labyrinth out for you and then you can go and walk. But they're all over the world. Wow. You mentioned you have a couple of books that you love for labyrinths. Do you want to share those with them, with our listeners? Yeah, they're really, there's a good number of them. The The Bible, if you will, uh, for the labyrinth movement is by Dr. Lauren Artris. I mentioned her earlier and it's called Walking the Sacred Path. Mm -hmm. And so it is, I mean, it's just wonderful. That's actually what I found after I had some labyrinth experiences and I thought, I, I you know, I, I need to find out more about this. Mm -hmm. so of course, go to Google. And that was the first thing that popped up. So I bought mm -hmm. the book and it really is just a wonderful resource. It's an excellent resource. And then she came back and wrote uh, Walking a Sacred Path Companion book to it. Mm -hmm. And so it, it branches out more. The first book is more focused on the labyrinth itself. And then the second book goes into some detail about other experiences and how to broaden broaden your experience with the labyrinth. So those would be, if someone wanted to learn, I would point them to those two first. And then I would suggest that they check out two websites. One is veriditas.org and the other is the Labyrinth Society. And mm -hmm. I think I give you all the links for those two. Lots of great information because these are people, uh, they just want to share this. I mean, that's all it is. Just you know, come here. We'll tell you all about it. Uh, Veriditas actually has uh, an online uh, finger labyrinth walk every Friday. They oh, change, that's awesome. Yeah, they change the time a little bit just because of West Coast, East Coast. They'll mm -hmm. alternate weeks. But they started doing that during the pandemic, during the lockdowns. Mm -hmm. We couldn't get out and go to Labyrinth. So they would do one every Friday. And it just was so popular that, and there's a different person facilitating and leading the walk, you know, every week. And they'll usually have music behind it. And it's really neat. So that's really a good thing. You can just stop in the middle of your work day or afternoon and pop up Zoom for about 15, 20 minutes and do a, an online Labyrinth walk. But that's on Veritas toss they'll have the the um, information about that too super cool yeah mm -hmm. i'm so glad that you joined us i think you know as kat and i spend so much time talking meditation and journaling and talking about energy medicine that this is just fits right in the mix yay well mm -hmm. let, let me mention something for me personally and I'd recommend this to everyone with whom I work with regards to labyrinths, and that is journaling. Uh, first of all, I'm big into journaling, period. But I try to journal after every labyrinth walk because I think sometimes we tend to think in terms of uh, switch flipping. You know, things happen and all of a sudden it's there. And the labyrinth, in terms of working with our subconscious you know, working with all of these ideas floating around, it just doesn't necessarily work that way. Now, I've had experiences where I've been working on a story and I, I would get a solution during a labyrinth walk. But more often than not, I just kind of get impressions, mm -hmm. I get thoughts, I get sensory imagery, I get colors, I get smells, I get what, and I go back and I just put those things down. I don't try to make sense of them. I just put down whatever I have experienced. And more often than not, I don't necessarily know any more than I did before I did the walk. But then after I do maybe three or four walks, and then I go back and I read those things together in that context, mm -hmm. there's something that starts to rise up where the subconscious is giving me pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. And one piece I look at and I think that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> but then you get about yeah. five pieces and it goes, oh, ah, okay. Now I'm starting to have an idea. Now I'm starting to, to figure things out. So I think 
journaling both for the short term, but also for the long term. And plus, I think it was Flannery O'Connor who said that she didn't really know what she was thinking until she wrote it down. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when I leave the labyrinth, I'm not really sure about what I'm thinking, but then I start putting that pencil down. And after a few sentences, things start kind of clarifying to some degree. Mm -hmm. I really do believe in journaling. I believe the labyrinth opens you up and allows you to be vulnerable and open to what's inside of yourself. Yes. And Um, I'm glad you said that because that's one of the beauties of the labyrinth is, again, going back to one of the first things we talked about, and that is trusting the path. If you completely trust the path and you completely open up and you completely let go, uh, then you can be vulnerable. And to me, the, the, the greatest things that I've ever experienced in life have always been from a standpoint of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. When you when you completely open up and you're you're willing to experience these things. So yeah, uh, that's that's one of the beauties of the labyrinth. And if any of our listeners want to reach you, they can find you at terryprice.net. Terry at terryprice.net. Terry at terryprice.net. Uh, your website is www.terryprice.net. Yep. You can also find him at J Terry Price on Instagram, and he's an incredible photographer. So be sure and check out his pictures there. And he has a podcast called The Creative Playground. And if you enjoyed listening to his incredible voice uh, on this one, make sure you check him out on The Creative Playground as well. Well, thank you all. And thank you for having me today. It's been, I've been looking forward to it. I appreciate what you all do and, and uh, all the good you bring into this world. So thank you for letting me be a part. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. I'm Kat Kahn. And I'm Tanya Rice. And this is Two Pittas on a Pod signing off. Thank you for listening to Two Pittas on a Pod. We're grateful you joined us. Join us again for more musings of a couple of yogis. We hope you learned, laughed, and enjoyed this podcast. And we hope you will share your comments or questions. Email us at twopittasonapod at gmail.com. And like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two Pittas on a Pod.